welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, guess what? What? We have one heck of an episode lined up for our listening audience. Yes, we do. Uh, This week's episode, we are talking about motion as metaphor. We're going to be talking about the uh, roller coaster the like traditional roller coaster. We're going to be talking about a splash mountain. And, uh, and I think we've come to a really good place uh, in our, in our uh, pre-show talks. So we should just go ahead and get started. All right. So, so when we say motion as metaphor, I think we should kind of establish like a baseline of what we're talking about. Because I think there's a big part of uh, theme parks and rides and attractions that is about moving you and being moved by the attraction itself. Not all attractions include movement, but I feel like the most famous, most iconic, maybe even the most important ones do. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. There are, I, I, I would say most rides or attractions um at at a traditional theme park uh are are about motion the few that aren't and and i would say even like simulator rides are about motion or at least about the idea of simulating motion which is almost as important um but uh the very few that don't are are like shows or theater experiences or or things like that where you sit down and and view and observe something which is very cool and special and 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 themed and important to the theme park experience obviously but i think that when people think of a theme park or when they think of disneyland where they think of going to a theme park they think about riding a ride and that riding a ride involves motion and movement and and if it's a roller coaster it's about adrenaline and i think that's incredibly important yeah i think if if uh, an attraction doesn't include some kind of motion element, it had better have some other kind of spectacle. And I think the other kinds of spectacle, like a 3D movie or um, like a show that includes animatronics or th- something like that, those are, again, like you say, very cool and very valid, but they're not um, as iconically theme park because they don't require the same amount of investment of space, I think. Um, sure, and they don't they don't stand out as experienced the same way that a ride that has motion and movement in it does. Right, um, I can go to a 3D movie at the movie theater down the street. It might not be as awesome as like Muppet Vision 3D, which also has like animatronics and stuff, but it's still a 3D movie experience. But I cannot, in my own living room, build a roller coaster. <laughs> But yes. I would like to try. <laughs> it would be cool to try it one day. Um, so so motion is very important to the theme park experience. And um, when I say motion is metaphor, um, partially I like this title, Alice, because it is alliterative and alliterative <laughs> titles are very important. Sure. Um, but also motion is rarely a one to one representation of what it's trying to be. If sure. that makes any sense. I think it does. So you're saying like when something is is moving, when a ride is moving, um, it might take um, it might take a, a, a shortcut or to do like um, do a small movement to simulate maybe a very large movement 
Yeah, so it doesn't have that one-to-one, um, like, experience of what it's saying you're experiencing. It's kind of it's kind of a weird thing to say, but, like, when you're on the Matterhorn bobsleds, you are not actually hurtling down a mountain, right? It's, sure. it's a series of twists and turns and drops and things that simulate the moving down a mountain. Um, right, and it seems on... taller than it is. And it sure, seems and that, bigger, maybe, than it is. Yeah, but. that all comes down to the scale of the thing and the way that it's designed and the theming elements and the things that just kind of make you believe that more than um, more than maybe you should if you were looking at it quite literally. If you were just looking at a set of tracks, for example. Um, so that's the motion as metaphor that I kind of want to talk about is, like, how do we use motion to symbolize other things or how do we use certain motions to uh compare the ride to something else to evoke that same emotion or to make it feel like you're experiencing that same thing because rarely if ever are you truly experiencing what the ride says you are uh and i think a good place to start maybe a good baseline might be uh the famous simulator ride um soarin around the world or perhaps right. soarin over california depending on when you last rode soarin <laughs> um right but soarin is a is a flight simulator kind of right soarin over california which then became soarin over the world um has the the conceit kind of when you get on board through the pre-show and everything that you are about to take flight um in uh, you've got Patrick Warburton as a flight attendant, even giving you your safety video, teaching you Whoa. how to fasten your seatbelt and everything. Welcome <laughs> and- to Soren. <laughs> Spot on, Patrick Warburton. Thank you. I'm um, so good at it. And um, and so you you sit down, and and even in the room, it kind of looks like you're about to sit down on like a hang glider. Um, and then it pulls you up in front of the screen and shows you what it would look like if you were flying through the air over such iconic places as uh, Matterhorn Mountain. They they do that at the very beginning, Soaring Over the Worlds, Matterhorn Mountain, and then the Great Wall of China, or all of these places uh, that you probably would never get to visit all of them in your life, but Soaring Over the World gives you that experience. Yeah, and, and the main appeal, the main draw of Soren is that um, not only would you be viewing the spectacle of this very cool uh, kind of dome screen thing that makes you feel like you're really kind of in the middle of these scenes, um, but also you'll be feeling the motion as the camera moves uh, through these iconic places around the world. Or... If you went on Soarin' Over California, as you fly over a Palm Springs golf course, uh, <laughs> which I always found was a weird choice, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> they showed a lot of really iconic, beautiful places in, in California. And then also Palm Springs, which is... Palm, Palm Springs is pretty. It's, it's just nice, not, I guess. It's not... Uh, the golf courses of Palm Springs are not what comes to mind when I envision the grand... Uh, Californian adventure that I think they're trying to evoke. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's that's the metaphor of the motion, though. It's flight as simulated through technology and through 
kind of micro movements almost of what the real movements would be. So we are connected to the experience through these uh, descriptions of flight. Right. These, these motion descriptions. It's not it's not claiming to be giving you an incredibly realistic flight experience, but it blows some air in your face and moves you around a little bit and gives you that like lifting feeling of flying while showing you something gorgeous to look at. So it's not, it's not trying to be extremely realistic. It's kind of being gestural towards the idea of flight. Yeah. And I I think Alice, you know, we didn't, we didn't get there with our our pre-show talk, but like describing something through motion and letting that be the metaphor, letting that being kind of the illustration of the thing that we're trying to evoke um, really does liken these uh, these motion simulators or even the, the larger rides where we actually move a whole lot um, to language. Like we're using the language of motion to communicate something in the theme park ride. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not always just about trying to show you a feeling. Sometimes it's about like, trying to put you in the mind space of a character and Alice I think you brought us a really cool example of that from Six Flags Magic Mountain right we're going to talk about Six Flags Magic Mountain for a second because we don't get to do that very much on this show we Six Flags talk- has has kind of this this uh maybe earned maybe completely earned uh, uh reputation uh, of not having a story to tell with its rides. <laughs> right. The Six Flags as like a as a conglomeration uh, of all all of the different Six Flags parks around the country um, tend to kind of just be roller coaster parks. This yeah, is a collection of roller coasters in a park. They're thrill parks. They they are more more than anything not themed but designed for thrills. Right. And that is awesome. I love roller coasters. The bigger, the better. I I love I love a good coaster. Um, We don't get to talk about them very much because they don't have stories to tell, except that sometimes I mean, if you think about it and and we mentioned this in, I think, the episode on tension, uh, a roller coaster has the actual story structure built right into it. That traditional image that you see of a of a story with your introduction and your rising action and your climax and your falling action looks like a roller coaster. And so so I could literally say if I wanted to that every coaster has a has a narrative of of uh, in ramping up tension of reaching a climax of giving you your denouement and putting you back home where you belong that could be the, that could be the story right back home um, at the at the loading station at the loading station uh be, being changed and different by your experience that could having, be a hero's journey new, if you wanted it to be <laughs> having gained new powers through through being on a roller coaster sure and that and that yeah we're laughing it sounds silly but that i mean that it's not an it's not a oh out there thing to to present about well, roller coasters. It's, it's very real. That's why the story map looks the way it does. And I mean, that's probably not why roller coasters are designed the way they are, but it sure does match up. 
it matches uh, up and it matches up to the um to the idea we have in our head of what an adventure feels like i mean it's it might not be that might not be why they designed coasters but it does tap into that kind of like primal story driven part of our brains sure and um but i there were two coasters at six flags magic mountain magic mountains in valencia california um, that I wanted to talk about as far as like the motion as a metaphor. And I wanted to start with the coaster Tatsu. Now Tatsu, I'm starting with it because I'm con- I'm going to connect it kind of to, to soaring over the world. Tatsu is one, maybe my favorite roller coaster on the planet. Um, it is a lay flat coaster. When you get into the car, you lay down flat on your stomach with your hands in front of you and your feet behind you looking straight down at the ground. And that's how you ride that roller coaster. Oh my gosh. It is fabulous. It is so much fun. And, um, and it like soaring over California gives you this, the feeling or the vibe, like the, the way that the, the, the car is structured. It looks like a hang glider. It kind of is again, that simulation of flight, but instead of the micro movements that Soarin' Over California has, Tatsu does these, these macro movements of huge twists and turns and loops and corkscrews. And you are flying, actually flying through the air, but that's the conceit that you get when you sit down or when you lay down on that ride, they say, we're going to take you in flight. This is it. They, they don't just say, hey, have fun on this coaster. They say, you are going to fly through the air. And that is, um, they, they, yeah, it's not a simile. They don't say, this is going to feel like flying. They are saying, this is flying. This is it's, flying. This ride is flying. And so that that motion is is a metaphor for flying. And there's the title yeah. of the of the show. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny because... Uh, even though it's a much grander scale of motion than Soarin', which is kind of a simulator, very locked into one sort of space, um, even though it's big and grand and there's loops and twists and turns and you're laying down, it's still like it does not have the freedom of flight that that feeling of like just kind of being able to move. However, right. there is a track and it is still um, not quite actually flying. Uh, it, but it is much less a gesture towards flying as much as it is a, I don't know, an attempt at flying, at, <laughs> uh, at representing flying as closely as possible through motion. Right. And it, I think it's extremely effective. It's a wonderful coaster. I can't cannot recommend it enough because um, it yeah, it, it, it you feel. Yeah, like you're soaring through the air, but like you said, you're not actually flying that but we all want to like that's that's another thing that it's tapping into that 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 part of the brain that wants to have these these powers or you know the power of flight is something that we as humans have dreamed about and attempted since always and and to want to inspire that feeling in people or to give people that that like feeling in your gut of you're flying through the air, you're falling through the air is um, it's yeah, it's really primal. It's very um, almost a brush with the sublime, like this idea of um, being, being close to something so much greater than the usual. 
yeah. um, being above it all. It's it's uh, an immense feeling. It's a big feeling. Big mood, Alice. Big mood, buddy. I really, really, really love that one. Um, and I want to talk about another coaster in Six Flags Magic Mountain, but um, kind of um, a, a little opposite. Yeah, of, kind of, kind of a different direction. Yeah, I mean, this is one of my other favorite coasters at Six Flags, and one of the reasons why I love the Six Flags parks in general is that they're always playing with the format of a roller coaster. You don't just sit in a car and and go down a track. You, they don't even just stick to like suspended coasters like Tatsu, uh, the roller coaster Riddler's Revenge plays with um, with your orientation on the track. And Riddle, Riddler's Revenge is a standing coaster. And you because you literally stand up flat against a, against the, the backrest and then they put down your shoulder restraints and strap you in with your feet on a platform. You are standing while you're riding this coaster. It is a very, very unique experience. I think it's the only standing coaster I've ever been on. Um, and the reason why I want to talk about this one is that the the conceit around Riddler's Revenge. So, so when Six Flags we say does not have a story behind it. It does have like one themed section of it. And that is that Six Flags Magic Mountain has a partnership with the DC universe. Yeah. And so they have a Batman coaster. They have a Riddler coaster. They have a Green Lantern coaster. They have a Wonder Woman spinning ride. Um, these are all in the back of, of the park um, being vaguely themed towards these heroes that you love or in the Riddler's Revenge case, a villain that you love. Um, and what I found really interesting about the Riddler's event, while well, you're in the line for, for Riddler's event, they don't do a lot of pre-show at Six Flags. There's not a lot of conceit. They say, you're in line to ride a coaster, and we know we know that. <laughs> Here is the safety uh, message. It is just a safety message. But the theming around the line, when you get up inside the, like, the main part of the line for Riddler's Revenge, is like, you're kind of in what looks like to be a villain's lair, and you hear the Riddler's laugh and there's question marks everywhere. And it's very, um, it, it's, it's very like unstabling. You, um, it's, it's, you, you recognize through the theme, this vague theming of the, of the pre-show that the Riddler is, you know, he's a Batman villain and he's unstable and he's, um, you know, he's out of control and he's going to cause damage to Gotham. You know, it's the Riddler. You know this character. You know who and, the Riddler is. And they don't, they don't do a whole, you know, video pre-show message where he, you know, takes over the camera and threatens you or, you know, gives you like a, a story, like something that is happening. You or it, And it doesn't even like establish like you are Batman and Riddler is coming to get you. It's just Riddler themed. And I think this was clever of them because when you stand up on this coaster and they strap you in over your shoulders and around your waist, it to me feels like you're being strapped in on like one of those dollies that they that they pull in like Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs, you know? It's like, um, it's that, that's being stood up and wheeled around as if you're walking but someone else is in control of the direction that you face and how you move. Do you know what I mean? This like total like yeah. giving up of control that is like definitely to me associated with 
like a like a Arkham Asylum vibe or like I said Hannibal Lecter that 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 seems really deliberate to me that you're going to stand up here and strap you in as if you are like on your way to Arkham it's it's wild while while every roller coaster uh is about there's something about roller coasters and like the lack of control right you cede control as soon as you sit as as soon as you sit down right it's uh you have no control over how roller coasters go their speed their turns their drops it is a preset track it will always be the same however by leaving you standing up i feel like that that forces you to confront that you are not in control despite being in the position the the standing position where you are usually most in control like when you're standing up you you have the most freedom of movement exactly anywhere at any point however here you are standing and have nothing um and that really does kind of put you in the the headspace of the riddler and perhaps him taking over or him in his psychosis feeling taken over. Right. Right. And so they could have themed this coaster because like I said, there's no actual story to it. They could have said, uh, this is a, this is a Superman ride. They could have themed it to like any old, any other, I mean, they already have Superman, the ride, which is very good. Um, but they could have themed it to any old DC hero, but, they definitely deliberately chose a villain because of this. I, I think it, it has to be deliberate because of the, um, the, the like how specific the motion of this ride is. Hmm. Um, it's very, it's, and it, it's got a lot of careening corkscrews and it's, it's very, um, uh, yeah, I think, I think they took that, the metaphor of the mind of a Batman villain and, and, and personified it as a coaster. And I think that's cool. You know what? Uh, talking about this reminded me of uh, years ago when you and I went to Islands of Adventure at Universal Studios in Orlando and we rode the Hulk. Yeah. Um, and actually just this week I was seeing a little bit of criticism of the Hulk online because that that ride is a bit dated. Um, it has a very 90s aesthetic in the queue um, <laughs> and it shows like clips of the 90s hulk cartoon which i don't think many people even remember happening because it wasn't wasn't (laughs) i definitely didn't watch it (laughs) um and yet uh that's another ride that uses uh themed motion to put you in the headspace of a character because it has that uh very dramatic upward launch um and the tension that builds as you look at that launch and then you hear the hulk's like guttural scream his his kind of hulk yell yeah Um, and you like hulk out with the hulk and you blast off and you take you're like angry right like you take your your angry spin around the tracks um yeah so so roller coasters can do this um they they can use motion to put you in the mindset of a character or to uh make you feel what a character might be feeling uh, and and I think especially with super powered individuals or or superheroes, supervillains, that's pretty easy actually. Um, yeah. And more roller coasters should be trying to do this. Yeah, um, I think I just popped back over to Superman really fast since I actually I kind of forgot about that ride, even though it's it's another favorite of mine. Hmm. It's way at the very very top of Magic Mountain itself, 
it's the the tallest point in the park and the superman the ride is a launch and you you go up like you're blasting off into the sky it's very much like if superman were to be were to take off in flight um the kind of like upward trajectory he would take towards the sky or like a big leap that he might that he might jump over a building right mm. it's that is it's a very 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 short ride and it's just a you launch you go up you come down it's very um it's 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 not like a complicated coaster but it does have that superman heroic vibe of like like shooting off into the stratosphere kind of thing and kind of kind of trying to reach the heights that superman uh does Exactly. It's pretty, it's very cool. It's a very fun coaster. It's a great park. There's some really good coasters there, but it's not narratively, it's not narratively uh, varied. It's yeah. it's a lot of just hey, go ride Viper. It's got seven loops. It does have seven whole loops, you <laughs> it's guys. It's seven entire inversions, and it's very good. I think I think what draws a lot of people to theme parks is. Uh, explicit narrative like knowing that you're going to be told a very cool story that you get to be in the middle of um and i think that's why sometimes six flags feels like it's not it's not treated with the same reverence uh, the same with knots it doesn't really have the story elements uh that a lot of parks fans uh want to see but i think right. we kind of got to look hard and and ask ourselves like what story is being told and can we find a story here even though it's not really being told to us outright like what what are the what are the what are the metaphors that we can track here so <laughs> exactly. uh, i'm really excited about this uh this this new idea that motion in roller coasters communicates something about the characters on which they are based this is a really cool idea i want to keep yeah. exploring alice now let's let's take it back um I want to I want to talk about maybe one of the most iconic rides at Disneyland, um, one with a very spelled out narrative, uh, a story that tells itself through music and animatronics, um, but also a story that uses motion quite explicitly to put the audience in the shoes of the main character. Uh, and I think you know what I'm going to say. I think we are talking about Splash Mountain. Now, Splash Mountain, Alice, is a favorite of mine. Is it a favorite of yours? It has been a favorite of mine. I I, uh, I go back and forth on whether or not I I, I like there. I like a I like a drop. I like I said, I'm a, kind of an adrenaline junkie. I do love a, a you know a good thrilling drop. Uh, and log rides are always entertaining. But uh, I do go back and forth on whether or not I love this ride. Um, and it's definitely based on whether or not I enjoy the the context of the ride. Right. Um, and in in our youth, maybe in our ignorant youth, uh, we had none of this context. Uh, the fact that Splash Mountain is based on Song of the South, which is a rather problematic Disney film um, and has a lot going on in terms of the history of slavery in the South um, and the way that the story is told uh, definitely tries to sanitize that, um, tries to say, oh, no, this is its own thing. And yet it really isn't, Alice. Right. By calling it Splash Mountain instead of Song of the South, the ride, um, it's like 
like deliberately trying to separate itself from that property, but it still uses a lot of the uh, really, really problematic imagery from uh, and and the like stereotypes and the accents and the everything that that made the original film so difficult and so controversial. Um, we though definitely, I think, are not entirely qualified to talk about like the specifics of what makes the movie so difficult. Um, I I know that I don't know enough about the social context of the neither the time it was made nor the time that it's set to talk about like I I know I know that it's problematic and I've seen like posts and blogs and stuff about about why it is um but I don't feel like I'm the right person to teach that in this podcast yeah sure we we might consider ourselves kind of on the uh at the very beginning of knowing why and how this ride could be so problematic. Um, but we don't want to be the voices who communicate that. Uh, we'd like to, in the future, do a lot of research and call in an expert uh, and really talk about this ride that way. So with all of that said, Alice, I do want to talk about kind of the narrative of Splash Mountain and how it uses the motion of the log to show us the the kind of emotional journey of Br'er Rabbit, because I think it is rather ingenious. Right. So why don't you walk us through the the narrative of of Br'er Rabbit? Tell us what what journey does this little bunny go through over the course of uh, over the course of the ride? So, uh, really simple story. Actually, it's it's kind of a, a story about. Um, uh, home sweet home is the lesson today uh, is, is what Br'er Rabbit sings out at the end. He's learning about uh, staying home, being responsible, not going on crazy adventures and the dangers that those things uh, bring when he does do those things. So Br'er Rabbit, he's bored at home. He decides he's going to go seeking adventure and excitement. Um, and in doing so, he has to evade a uh, clumsy bear and a not smart fox as they chase him around. Um, and he eventually ends up in a place called The Laughing Place, uh, which is a really fun, happy place to be, um, which, you know, even spawned the line, you know, everybody's got a laughing place, a happy place to go, go, go. Like, those happy places is kind of based on that iconic Splash Mountain line, um, not to mention Walt Disney's opening day speech to, to all who come to this happy place. Welcome. Right. So yes. it kind of it kind of all kind of builds on itself. But um, he ends up in this place where uh, there are no cares and no worries and everybody laughs all the time. Uh, but he falls into a beehive or something. He's stuck in a, a puddle of honey and he can't get out. And the fox uses that as a uh, an opportunity to catch him and tie him up uh, and he's going to eat him. So he's got this pot that's like boiling water and he's, he's going to throw the rabbit into the pot. And the fox says to the rabbit, um, you know, any last requests and Br'er Rabbit says, please don't throw me into the briar patch. That would be worse than being eaten. And of course, the worst he's, thing. he's being tricked the fox, but the fox is like, oh, well, I'm not smart. So that's just what you're going to get. I'm going to throw you into the briar patch. And he does. He throws him into the briar patch. Little does the fox know that Br'er Rabbit, with the name Br'er, meaning being short for briar, um, lives 
in the briar patch. So he's able to, once he gets thrown in there, run home and the fox can't follow him. Uh, and Br'er Rabbit learns a lesson about not going out of uh, his house. And we all sing zippity doo dah. Um, <laughs> so that's the story, right? Right. That's now, a literal narrative that you're being walked through while you're on Splash Mountain. Right. Now, how do we move the log so that the audience feels what Br'er Rabbit feels? Um, good question. We start That's a with, very good question, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we, we start with uh, a couple of um, inclines uh, as we kind of go around Splash Mountain itself. You know, we go up and we go up. And it's actually, Alice, last time I was on it, and this was just last week when Kate and I visited, um, I noticed for maybe the first time in a long time that it's about three, three to four minutes where not much happens, actually. Right. You're kind of just in the in the mountain itself. There's uh, you can kind of hear the song Zippity Doodah play like around you, um, but not but not in any sort of volume. Yeah, and you go and, and you just kind of go around and up. Yeah, you're, uh, you're brought up a couple of levels and you're just like, I feel like maybe that is like you as the maybe as the Br'er rabbit literally climbing out of the briar patch you're you are um you're saying well i'm you that's him leaving home right you go yeah. from the lowest level up to the upper level leaving the briar patch right and then there's one drop it's a it's a rather small drop um right after you see the houses of brer fox and brer bear um they're they're built into the side of the mountain you can hear the brer bear snoring Right. Um, and you do a little drop and maybe he's hi- ducking and hiding from you, 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 the, the person riding as Br'er Rabbit duck and hide from the fox and the bear. Yeah, it's just kind of a like a quick getaway, like, oh, I know I shouldn't be here sort of a moment. Um, so then, boom, you're in the first dark ride area and everybody's singing. How do you do? Um, and <laughs> Good, how are you? <laughs> say it when you're meeting everyone you're greeting. Um, so. You know, they you, you kind of go around and how do you do is playing and it's kind of a really tranquil, like take it easy sort of a moment. And we see we see that the bear and fox have like failed to catch Br'er Rabbit and they're they're kind of stuck in like a, a rope trap that they had set for him. Um, and Br'er Rabbit sings about how he uh, is looking for more adventure and more excitement and he's he's heading on. He's going somewhere else. Um, and then we see that the bear has gotten stuck in like a hole in the wall, uh, <laughs> and Br'er Rabbit's laughing at him, and he he makes an escape again uh, into the laughing place. And there's this really great drop slash rise, I guess. The the, yeah. the log feels like it kind of goes on a roller coaster, uh, like whoop de doo for a second. <laughs> And there is no water in that part. It's really interesting, Alice. It kind of kind of drops and goes up and then splashes down into a flat trough of water there. Um, and then you're in the laughing place. And that's usually where you first get wet. I know it's where I first got wet last time I was writing it. Um, and I think that's like Br'er Rabbit kind of being like shocked into this laughing place area. Like he he runs and he runs and he runs and then like, boom, wow, it's the laughing place. And like you get hit with some water like, oh, wake up. Here you are. This is the the new (laughs) exciting place. What's happening? 
Um, and so everybody sings about the laughing place and then Br'er Rabbit gets stuck. And then you go past the uh, sad rabbit family. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. found out that the fox got Br'er Rabbit. Uh, it's his, like, it's presumably his family. Yeah. Like, uh, very they're, sad. They're crying and, and the mom rabbit is warning the, the rest of the rabbit children not to go to the laughing place. Um, and then the log starts to go up and two vultures are like, oh, the, the rare rabbit got caught, you know, but like, what's going to happen to you? We'll show you the laughing place. And it's very scary. Uh, and then you see Br'er Rabbit make his escape, you know, the shadow of the fox looming over him as he says, don't throw me into the don't briar patch. Don't throw me into the briar patch. And the fox says, that's just what you're going to get. And as he says that, you go over the hill. And, and as you, you do go, a huge drop. As you go over to the hill into this huge drop right into the briar patch, uh, not only is it the most thrilling part of the ride, but I think it's also the... Uh, grandest motion of Br'er Rabbit's uh, journey. He makes this escape through the Briar Patch back home. Um, and and in living that, that daring escape with him, we get to connect to that part of the story. This like, uh, this, this kind of dangerous, desperate drop into a place where we know we'll be safe eventually. Uh, and the movement of the log perfectly communicates how Br'er Rabbit must have felt running away from the fox in that moment. Yeah. Um, and then as we turn the corner and re-enter into the dark ride area uh, and we see Zippity-Doo-Dah, we kind of get one last moment of floating home triumphantly as we see Br'er Rabbit and Br'er, or we see Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear uh, struggling with one more thing. They're about to be eaten by a crocodile. Which is weird because there are talking crocodiles in this ride, but this is a big normal crocodile, and it, it really does confuse me. Um, <laughs> and then we turn the corner and Br'er Rabbit sings a little song about how he's learned that he needs to stay home sweet home. Uh, and then the ride is over. Right. Uh, so there's, there's a lot going on here with how the movement, how the big motions of the ride uh, place us within the story. Uh, they're not literal. We don't get to run away like a rabbit would. Um, we no, don't. You, you float on, yeah, on we a... Float, we float like a log, but we use the, the log to kind of symbolize, well, to kind of be a metaphor for the journey of Br'er Rabbit. Would you say they use the motion as a metaphor? I would say that uh, that episode title many times, Alice. I would say that the motion <laughs> was a metaphor. Um, yeah, the motion, the the yeah, the movement of the ride and the actual like. I, I really like how you you point out that the first little drop is right by the houses of of fox and bear that you are like making your little daring escape. I wanted to. I, I had an idea about the um, the first like the the like inside the dark ride like when you do that drop into the laughing place yeah um i i think it's it's just as much a oh we're in the laughing place now like a startle as much as i think um as a metaphor for or or like um bear rabbit wants to go home or knows that he should be going home 
um, or that he's not supposed to go to the laughing place. And I think that um, that drop there is like him uh, stumbling, like maybe literally stumbling into the laughing place, but also like metaphorically, he his like morality is stumbling. He knows better. He knows that he's not allowed to go there. He knows that it's dangerous. And so he trips and stumbles into this space. Yeah, and I think that that's really smart because like it it feels like a tumble almost um, with the down then upward motion. Uh, and it feels really kind of out of place and unfamiliar. And you were just seeing this ridiculous bear thing. And then the laughing place is actually uh, very dark. Um, it's super dark. And, and there's neon colored and it, yeah, it, there's a UV lights lighting up a lot of the um, a lot of the like glow in the dark uh, figures and and the they're backlighting the water and stuff. It's very kind of eerie. Yeah, and 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 it, things seem like they're out of control. There's a dog on a boat that is spinning way too fast. Um, and it, it, like the laughing place, uh, because of the song and because of what we like remember as the big iconic moments. There's there's a bird with an umbrella and she's singing and she seems so excited. And there's there's a couple of uh, recycled America sings birds in there doing like a surprise <laughs> dance. And, and like we remember those, but there are things about the laughing place that are kind of unsettling. Not to mention the bees, which then end up trapping Br'er Bear or Br'er Rabbit, rather. Um, so, like, the Laughing Place is fun. There are good things about it, but it's also underground, dangerous, uh, not a good place to be because of all the bees. Um, <laughs> and I think that that motion into it also communicates that to the audience. It kind of says, like, whoa wait what's this new place splash whoa it's overwhelming um and then there's this song right uh which which is almost insisting that you laugh uh because everybody's got to laugh here uh yes. so it's almost too much so one thing that i wanted to make sure we we talked about and we we did mention this uh a little bit in that we are not the scholars to be talking about um the song of the south and its place in uh, like African American like literary tradition. That's not um, that's not our expertise, and we're certainly not the people to uh, to try and lecture on that. But with a little bit of research about um, the song about the Song of the South and about the Laughing Place, um, is that the Laughing Place was in like the original folk tales coming out of like a West West African tradition. Um, was part of the same kind of story. It's a it's a trickster myth. The hare is about to be eaten uh, by the fox and says, "Well, no. If you if you eat me now, you'll never get to know what the laughing place is." And he says, "Oh well, I gotta know what the laughing place is. Show me." And he and the the hare leads the fox into a cavern that's full of bees, and the hare escapes, and the and the fox is stung by all the bees. <laughs> so and, it's like it's like the ride and and the movie add like one more step where like he gets trapped in the laughing place instead of trapping his captors in the laughing place. Right. Because he, it, there are so many versions of that trickster myth. Um, and, and again, in Western African tradition, it was a, as a spider usually, but sometimes, the, sometimes the hair um, tricks somebody into doing something that they wanted to happen all along. And there's so many versions of that, that it seems like splash mountain and song of the South kind of combined a couple um, in that 
uh, he does do the trick where he says, don't throw me in the briar patch. It's the reverse psychology. Don't throw me in the briar patch. Okay, I'm going to throw you into the briar patch. Um, apparently, Br'er Rabbit did that to Br'er Fox uh, a bunch of times. And one time it included the laugh- the story of the laughing place and the bees. So they re- they took that scene and put it in the ride, but as Br'er Rabbit's trap instead of Br'er Fox's. Um, right, and so it, it sure does feel like there's there's a change in the meaning there because the laughing place goes from a place where Br'er Rabbit was able to trick Br'er Fox yeah. to a place where he, he ends up overwhelmed and stuck and is captured. Right. It, yeah. It takes some of the original story context and, and kind of twists it, I think to match the, the moral of the story, the moral of the splash mountain story is don't leave home right? Like it's, it's home, home sweet home. Oh, well I left home. I went away to find adventures and it was way scary and too much. Guess I'm just going to go home and be a rabbit in my rabbit hole. Um, and, and that being, being asked to be thrown back into his home is what sets him free. Right. Yeah. Um, so the laughing place, instead of becoming like a tool that Br'er Rabbit uses becomes a, becomes like his foil, it's very, um, it's interesting that they made that choice. I think maybe they probably made that choice because they just wanted to like pay reference to The Laughing Place. They just wanted to like mention the, it as like a reference to the original story. Um, but then they gave it like an entirely different meaning. Right. Which it it is, sure does feel like there are either unintended or intended consequences for making this change. Yeah. It's uh, it's hard to tell without knowing the uh, Imagineers behind Splash Mountain, but um, yeah, that was uh, in in yeah in some very very cursory research, and we can absolutely explore this further um, with someone who knows what they're talking about, maybe as a special guest. Um, but uh, that is what what I what I discovered about the Laughing Place. Hmm. It's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, Alice, did you have any other attractions for which the motion spoke to how, how the story was being told kind of, kind of abstracted out a feeling you were supposed to feel? It would be, it would be my guess that almost any attraction would be able to fit this, this kind of concept, right? Where the way that whatever you're on moves helps communicate something about the story. Uh, There's a part in the Haunted Mansion where the cars turn backwards as they fall um, out of the window of the mansion, kind of abstracting that that descent into the graveyard, kind of making you feel like even more unsettled by going backwards into this brave new world. Um, In Pirates of the Caribbean, there's uh, the two initial drops, which kind of signify a uh, descent into the world of pirates, um, where where the motion is this metaphor for a long time ago and in a different place, almost, um, or once upon a time, if you will. Right. Yeah. Uh, a drop is really good for that. Um, like to to drop you down it, it serves a practical purpose of literally like putting you in the basement space where you have more room to you know like Disney does a lot of underground work 
Um, so you can drop somebody into that space and then you've got room to explore the whole ride, but you can also turn it into the metaphor for literally you are falling into, in, into a new world. And that is, I mean, you, people use that in movies all the time. I mean, Alice in Wonderland, for example, uses that in every film version of Alice in Wonderland, Alice tumbles down, down, down into a new world. And that it's, it's just like a classic literary tradition of, uh, uh, and uh, by starting a ride with a drop or with an elevator descent, like with the Haunted Mansion, um, you can quite literally move someone in, into feeling like they're in a new place. Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, literaliz- literalization of the literary uh, crossing of the threshold. Um, and yeah. you, you cross into the threshold sometimes violently. In fact, many characters violently cross the, cross the threshold. Uh, an act of violence occurs to them or they do an act of violence, which means that now they are in the new world. Um, exactly the world of adventure uh so i think i think motion is always an interesting uh language for how rides are explaining something uh how they're making you feel like the character or how they're making you feel like you're in the story because these motions are telling your subconscious brain which knows stories they're telling you the story they're just not saying it outright um, the teacups ride, a very simple little spinny ride, but it's the mad tea party, right? It's a, it's a, it's the motion of the spinning teacups is like the metaphor for the, like, um, for the Wonderland vibe, you know, the, um, the, the Mad Hatter the and the madness of the Hatter and the, and the, and the March Hare and how they, um, how they view the world. And how how Alice's tea party is out of control, and so you on the on the teacups get to spin out of control. It's honestly, it's, uh, it's honestly so good of a metaphor for how that scene feels. Yes, uh, it, it's it's almost too good. It, it feels like an actual <laughs> stroke of genius because it's a traditional theme park ride, and they've just said ah like alice and the tea party and it just works so well um yeah you 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 i just i i am again marveled at the the genius of an imagineer that could take yeah well we already know how to create this kind of ride but now how do we theme it and it gets it gets themed absolutely perfectly, kind of like Dumbo's Flying Circus, uh, and this this feeling of flight that you get, and the way that uh, having control of that ride actually kind of matches Dumbo's journey of self confidence and control, and how you <laughs> experience that arc of being unsure, where do I want to put Dumbo in the air, and being able to realize that it doesn't matter, it's up to you. You could you could yeah. put Dumbo anywhere. Uh, while you're riding this ride and that mimicking the oh my gosh Alice the theme (laughs) the motion mimicking the theme of the entire film Uh, (laughs) I mean yeah I think we we started this conversation with like exactly three ideas in mind but now we're at this point where we can apply it to any ride and and we we can do it or you the listener can do it <laughs> ah. and talk to us about it on twitter yeah that's right um alice did you know that as of wow about a week ago those happy places has its own official twitter 
<laughs> it does. I made the Twitter account after being hounded uh, by uh, friends at PodCon last week, uh, where it was, uh, they seemed to find it important that those happy places had its very own Twitter account. So, uh, yes, you can find those happy places on Twitter at happy places pod. And you can find me on Twitter at Alice white THP. And I'm at buddy underscore Duquesne. Uh, Duquesne is spelled D U Q U E S N E by the way, Alice. Yes. The French way, the French way. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and reach out to us on Twitter. We love to continue the conversations, uh, from the episodes on the internet. I'm never not on Twitter. So if you listen to this episode and you had an idea about another ride that we may have missed, of course, there are thousands of rides and they now we realize we can apply this idea to all rides. So we want to hear your ideas. Yeah, I think it's the mark of a good episode when a concept that we come up with, we talk through enough to the point where we realize that it's not just a concept that applies to a few rides. It's something that the designers of these rides must always be thinking about because it works so well. Um, so bring that to us on Twitter. And if you find us on Twitter, you can find our Discord. Yes, our Discord server is where all of the um, the very in-depth conversations happen. You can only type 200 some odd characters on Twitter, but on Discord, we You can go talk to 2,000, and I have. <laughs> <laughs> we talk at length in various uh, channels on our Discord server about Disney, about Universal, and Knots, and Six Flags, and also park food, and... Uh, and roadside attractions, roadside attractions, which is a great channel. (laughs) And uh, it's full of friends and uh, wonderful conversations. So if discord is your thing, if you're into that idea, hit us up on Twitter. We, uh, we link to our discord all the time. Yes. And Alice, one more thing to everybody out there that's listening. Uh, If they like what we do, they can support us on Patreon. Yes, patreon.com slash those happy places is the place to go. We have uh, reward tiers for every budget level. We have uh, rewards such as Discord privileges. We are going to send postcards and stickers. We have so much to offer and so many things that we want to engage with the community. And um, and we can do that with your help. Uh, yeah. So it, and if you if you support us on patreon.com slash those happy places, you will be finding that we have stretch goals like uh, eventually making merchandise like T-shirts and pins or uh, hosting meetups at your favorite theme parks or even very far in the future. Things like uh, creating an entire club where we try to meet often and have newsletters or go on road trips to smaller attractions around the country. It really is an exciting project that I hope you guys can all join us with. Yeah. So that's uh, patreon.com slash those happy places. Even if you uh, find yourself unable to support us with uh, monetarily, we uh, appreciate your support on social media and um, and you can email us those happy places at gmail.com. Just we love to hear from you. And uh, I just wanted to say I, I recorded a special PodCon episode, but I wanted to say on this episode, uh, thank you to everyone who came to say hi at the table at PodCon. I met uh, a bunch of listeners and uh, had just such a good time hugging you all and meeting everybody. And if you are listening to this and I'm met you at PodCon for the first time 
and you discovered the show through PodCon, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. And we had such a good time together. I'm really glad that I got to, to meet and see everybody. Alice, I am a little jealous of you and all the fun that you had at PodCon. You should be, but maybe someday we'll go to a convention together. That would be really cool. Um, Alice, one more thing before we go. Did you know that our listeners are listening to our theme music right now? Our, our theme music, which is Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin. Yes, it is by those people featuring that person. Now, did you know that there's additional music throughout the episode? Yes, the additional music, which is by Kevin McLeod. Yeah, you can find Kevin and all of his music, which he offers for free use for podcasters and other content creators, as long as they're attributing him, and we're attributing him right now, at IncompTech.com. Kevin McLeod at IncompTech.com. Thank you so much, Kevin. Yes, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate and love you. Thank you again, and we hope you return to those happy places. 